Greetings, rare ones. My name is Joanne, and I started the Rare Birds podcast because I wanted to hear from people like myself who come from emerging markets or the developing world, as we're called, who are entrepreneurial, resourceful, passionate, and energized to take their vision from idea to startup. Each week, you will hear me interview founders and teams from across emerging markets who are in the early stages of building their businesses. From time to time, you will also hear me speak with established ecosystem builders, mentors, investors, and business professionals who share knowledge based on their years of experience. This podcast is for anyone who is interested in hearing from the next wave of change makers across emerging markets, building in various industries from agro to tech to health, beauty, and all in between. This podcast is also for those who have ideas, but they're not entirely sure how to make them a reality. They're looking for inspiration and encouragement. We call ourselves Rare Ones. And if this sounds like you, then welcome to the family. Sit back, relax, and listen in to our always so good conversation. Bye for now. Hi guys, Joanne here. So this is season one, series one, episode 101, Scholarship to Entrepreneurship, African Students Creating Opportunities in China. And this first interview is with Gael, who is from Cameroon. And there's going to be five more interviews in this series. And one of the reasons I decided to um, do this series is because I believe that there are a lot of stories about the Africa-China relationship but very few of them are touching on this particular topic. And I think that's a shame. And because I'm interested in sharing new narratives and just because I'm a curious person, I thought, well, if I'm interested in this, there may be other people that want to hear this as well. Um, there are a lot of students from all over the world coming to China, many of them African. This particular series focuses on Africans coming to China, but there's a, a lot more scope to be covered and um, I think that what we don't realize or what the stories that we are being fed is usually about, you know, the scholarships coming here. But there are a lot of people, particularly students, who are taking advantage of those opportunities. And it is absolutely astounding what they're doing, the businesses they're creating, and actually what's happening on the ground. And many of them are doing this with an intent to go back to Africa, build bridges with Africa, and affect change in their home countries. So this is a really, really important story. And I hope you gain a new perspective as you listen in to my conversation with Gael. And I hope that you are now encouraged to dig a little bit deeper and learn a little bit more beyond headlines. You know, if you type China Africa in Google, it's going to be about China building Africa or China-Africa growth or trade or, you know, what's China really up to and Africans fighting back. And there's a lot of that kind of stuff. But there, there are also some other stories as well. And that's what I aim to do in this podcast in season one. I want to share some stories and reframe narratives. And, you know, a popular term is reimagine. So let's reimagine what um, the relationship is like 
between Africa, China and the different agents and actors involved and what's actually happening happening rather on the ground. So I hope you enjoy listening in and see you next week, Wednesday. Don't forget for episode 102. And I'll let you imagine who I'll be speaking to then. Okay, guys, take care. Bye for now. The first interviewee is Gael, and Gael is from Cameroon. She is primarily a PhD candidate in Media and Communication Studies at Sinhua University in Beijing. She first arrived in China in 2014 to complete her master's degree in global business journalism at the same university. In the course of the several years that she spent in China, Gael has been involved in several extracurricular activities that have allowed her to make the most out of her academic experience in China. Last year, she was the president of the Sinhua University African Students Association, where she worked with other talented African students to consolidate the African community of Sinhua University and to support African students through their stay in China, as well as to showcase the uniqueness of Africa to non-African students in the university and beyond. Since September this year, she's the vice president of the Student Association of the Belt and Road Initiative, where her work is focused on Africa-China relations as a part of the BRI. In addition to that academic aspect of her journey in China, Gail has since last year gotten involved in two main entrepreneurial projects in Beijing, along with other inspiring young African students. She's co-founded Duapa Africa, this was last year, and Duapa is a social enterprise that seeks to contribute to the socio-economic transformation of Africa through developing innovative solutions. In 2018, the different activities of Duapa Africa have benefited over a thousand students, young professionals, and businesses in China and in Africa. Since July this year, Gael is the co-founder and CEO of Think, Share, and Create TSC Hub, a Beijing-based social enterprise dedicated to creating platforms where women and youth from different backgrounds and nationalities can get inspiration, resources, and skills needed for their personal and professional growth. Her previous experiences include working at the marketing department of Transitions Holdings, Technomobile in Cameroon, and as reporter at a local radio station. She strongly believes that it is the positive impact that one creates in other people's lives that gives value to one's actions and that it is a great way to express thankfulness for God's blessings in one's life. So let's listen in to this conversation that I had recently with Gael. Thank you. So welcome to the Rare Birds podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yes, great. I'm really glad that you're here. So, Gael, you are based in Beijing, is that correct? That's correct. Okay, so would you like to tell uh, the audience a little bit about where you're from, your country, and how you ended up here in China? Uh, well, I come from a really beautiful country um, right. located in Central Africa, Cameroon. It's usually known as African miniature because it's really diverse, kind of like all Africa represented in it. And mm. um, it's interesting because I get that question a lot, why I decided to come to China. Well, I first arrived in China in 2014. Um, that was for my master's studies. And the reason why I came is because my brother was here he was studying here before me, and he told me a bit about how it is studying in China. And I was interested in just um, going abroad to study journalism. 
Um, I didn't know where exactly I wanted to go, but because he was here studying exactly at Chihuahua University, he checked um, the journalism programs that were here and he sent them to me, sent several options to me. And I saw one that was particularly interesting because I was interested in journalism and everything that's related to business. And that one was business journalism. So I just decided to come and that's how I ended up here uh, for the first time. Oh, wow. So your brother was here and he he studied at the same university where you are now, yes. Xinhua University? Yes, Tsinghua yes, University. Okay, so is he back home in Cameroon now? Uh, currently he's in Luxembourg. Oh, nice. Yes, in Europe. Okay, okay. So where in Cameroon are you from? Are you from the capital city or another city? Well, originally I am from the West region. Um, that's okay. where my parents, both my parents are from. But I was born and raised in the capital city, Yaoundé. Um, okay. So I just moved straight from Yaoundé to China in 2014. <laughs> okay. Now you said something interesting yes. about Cameroon. You said it's very diverse. So there's a little yes. bit of... how. Can you explain that? I've never heard that before about Cameroon. What do you mean? Um, why well, we call it African miniatures because um, it's really diverse. When we talk about the environment, the landscape, it's very diverse. You can have like rainforest, you have beaches, you have some kind of desert as well. So as far as the landscape is concerned, it's really diverse. Same thing when it comes to cultures. We have so many different, um, different but a bit similar, but the cultures are really different within the country. And we have over 250 local languages, you know, so it's really, really interesting. It's kind of a mix, you know, and that's why it's usually referred to as African miniature. Okay. And I know you speak yeah. French. That's sort of the French, yes. the European colonial language. But what other languages yes. do you speak other than English and French? Uh, well, I speak a bit of my uh, local language. Um, unfortunately, because I was born and raised in Yaoundé, um, in the capital city, the language that's spoken there is different from the language um, that's spoken in my village. That is where my parents come from. So I used to be exposed more to French because in the capital city, French is the main language that's been used. So I can only speak some basic level of my local language, but I mm. also learned German when I was in high school, I can okay. still remember some of it. And obviously, I also have some knowledge about Chinese. It's not that good, but it's okay, I think. Yeah, some right. knowledge about Chinese. Yeah. Right, right. So you came here. Okay, so that's a little bit about Cameroon. Before we move on from Cameroon, is there anything you'd like our audience to know about your country? Particularly for those who've never heard of it, they don't know where it is, and now they're curious, so they want to learn a little bit more. I would say that Cameroon is just a place that's so interesting because, as I, as I said, it's really diverse with the landscape, with the culture, and even with the people, you know. There are some countries where it's easy to tell that this person is likely to be from this country, but it's really hard for people to kind of, like, categorize Cameroonians because you never know whether they are from Cameroon or not. So something that I really like about the country is that diversity that is reflected almost everywhere. And also, I think one thing that I like about Cameroon in particular, 
and Africa in general is the rising young population. You know, I went back home um, in February and I was just amazed to see how many young people are willing to be able to do something, you know, um, to contribute to the progress of Africa. So that energy, it's just something that inspires me a lot in my country and in Africa in general. Yes, absolutely. And for those who don't know, so Cameroon is Central Africa and you are bordered by many yes. countries. You've got Nigeria, yes. Chad, Central African Republic, you've got Congo, yes. Brazzaville, yes. Gabon, and um, tiny yes. little Equatorial Guinea where they speak yes. Spanish. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes, wow. So Cameroon is, is more like, uh, it's central, but it's on the west, the west side. Yes, and it's usually, if you check on Google, it will tell you that Cameroon is in West Africa, which is really interesting. <laughs> but yes, we know yes. that we're part of Central Africa. <laughs> yes, because Central Africa, when I think of Central Africa, I think of Democratic Republic of Congo, uh, yes. Central African Republic. Um, but I guess I can see why people would think Cameroon is West, because it's right next yeah. to Nigeria to and Nigeria, Gabon. Yes. But part, a part of Cameroon is very central, and then you have a part that's more on the west. So maybe you're yeah. a little bit of both. But I guess you are a member of the like the Central African group of countries, right? Like this. Yes. Yes. This. Okay. Okay. Good. So fantastic. So now let's talk about China. So since you arrived okay. here, you have been one busy woman. I mean, busy, busy, busy. All the things that you have accomplished since you've been here. I'm so thoroughly impressed and I can't wait for you to share with everyone what you've been doing. So you got your master's, right? So so tell us what you got yes. your master's in. My master's was in, there's a program here at Chihuahua University that's called Global Business Journalism. And the program is uh, sponsored by Bloomberg and the International Center for Journalism. So basically it's, uh, being taught in China, but the model that's used, it's, it reflects a lot on the Western journalism style, which I found interesting, you know, kind of having that mix. So um, we focused on business news, economic news, uh, which just is interesting as well, because we move away from the general journalism to something that's really specific. Um, mm. So I, I came in 2014 for that program. And mm -hmm. it was a two-year program taught completely in English. Um, that's why mm. my Chinese didn't <laughs> increase that much. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. Um, I graduated in 2016. Okay. I'm really glad you yes. said that because I think people don't, maybe people have a, a particular view of China. So when you say, you know, your master's is sponsored by Bloomberg, which is a big Western firm and you know, you're following the Western style of journalism. I'm sure there are people who hear that and they'll be very surprised because they think, really, in China? But, and that you've done your degree in English, but that's quite normal here. And that's not something to be surprised yes. about, is it? Yeah. Yes. There yes. are so many different, um, when we talk about um, education here, higher education, at the level of masters, there are so many programs that are taught fully in English. So yes. and I and I agree. There are so many people that are not aware about that because the major language, the main language in China is Chinese, and they think that all programs will be in Chinese. But there are so many of them master's program in English, which is interesting. Yeah, and I think also 
particularly in the Western world, the way China is portrayed is sometimes in a very negative light. So people don't realize mm -hmm. that there's all these different layers to the country. It's a very big country, lots of nuance. So yes. maybe they just think, oh, journalism, journalism, like, why yes. would you study that in China? <laughs> like, do they have, because they don't, yeah, sorry, go yes. ahead, go ahead. I actually get asked that question almost all the time that I, you know, now it's better because I'm doing my PhD and usually I will be like, I study media and communication research. It's okay, you know. But then mm -hmm. when I used to do my master's and that I would, somebody would ask me, what do you study? And I would be like, journalism. They would be like, are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Why would you study journalism mm. here? But I felt like, you know, what would be a better place to study something like that? At least because I'm focusing on business, economic news rather than China. China is a growing, you know, economic power. And and it's interesting that you bring this idea of, you know, the complexity of China. Being here mm -hmm. in China and trying to understand that complexity, trying to make sense of that, I think that's what made it even more interesting than maybe studying journalism somewhere else in the world, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And I think because many people have a view of China like, oh, well, there's no free press here and everything is controlled by government. So why would they even have journalism? But that's that couldn't be further from the truth. You know, there's just there's lots of uh, publications here, newspapers, magazines, you know, there's TV, there's everything. I mean, it's so I think it's kind of simplistic to just say it's owned by the government. There's much more layers to it than that, you know, and I think if you don't live here, you might, you will probably assume, oh, it's owned by the government. That means it's not real news, but it is real news. <laughs> you know, I mean, it I mean, when news. you, when you read the news, you get the information and I mean, it's, it's really complex, right? And that's the it interesting is. thing. By being here, you get something that's more than what you, 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 you were used to get before you came. So it's, it just makes you see that usually we tend to maybe see things as black Oh, why? Yes, yes. It's a bit more complex than that, you know. So, yeah. Absolutely. So brilliant. So now, so you did your masters, and then you, you, you in in German journalism, global business journalism, yes. and now you're doing your PhD in media and communication studies, right? Yes. Yes. Okay, and you're still yes. at the same university. Exact. Um, okay. I I came back in twenty. I graduated in 2016 and went back home for a year uh, mm -hmm. and then came back in 2017 to pursue my PhD. Fantastic. So what made you want to do a PhD? Interesting. <laughs> uh, well, um, the, the, uh, the, the thing that made me start thinking about doing a PhD was my master's research because my master's mm. research was focused on the media coverage about Africa. So I compared the way Chinese media and um, Western media, just in quote, because, you know, West is, is like a broad term, but it was um, uh, American and UK media cover Africa in general. So it was interesting mm. to see um, the tendencies um, when it comes to portrayal, international portrayal, about Africa and also the tendency when we talk about Chinese media, you know, a lot of them now are, are expanding globally. So I just thought mm -hmm. it's an interesting trend. And as China is also becoming more and more important, so uh, his media, although there are a lot of studies that show that there's still so much that needs to be 
done by the Chinese media, but I feel like they are getting more and more attention, at least in Africa. So I thought it would be something that quite interesting to study. Um, yeah, after finishing absolutely. my master's, I thought, you know, I might want to expand a bit more on that. So that's when I started considering doing a PhD. Um, and then I just thought about it again and again and again. And yeah, I just thought the opportunity came and I thought it might be a good one to seize, you know. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, um, Ch Chinese media is, is all around the world, but particularly in Africa. It's very yes. prominent in Africa. So it just makes a lot of sense, especially if you want to go back home or if you want to do get involved in China-Africa relations, which is something you're exactly. heavily involved with, right? Mm -hmm. So let's yeah, talk a little I'm bit about, yeah, <laughs> yeah, not you're trying, you are, you are. So let's talk a little bit about your um, work with it, the sort of like China-Africa before we jump into your your businesses. I know you've been involved in Bel Belt and Road, the Belt and Road Initiative, right? Um, somehow, um, we have this association, this student association here at Chihuahua University, which is kind mm -hmm. of the first of its kind that focuses solely on the Belt and Road Initiative, providing more understanding about the Belt and Road Initiative. And uh, starting from um, this year, beginning this fall, actually, I was offered the opportunity to be able to work with them. Um, mm -hmm. Just kind of, because the association has been existing for a year, but there was a lot of emphasis on Asia. Uh, while when we talk about the Baton Road initiatives, I think now there's, there, there's like 40 African countries that have signed documents on the Baton mm -hmm. Road initiative, which is a huge number. So um, mm -hmm. they just thought that, you know, it would be so important to have a focus on that region. So I'm basically working with them on shedding light on um, China-Africa relation as part of the Belt and Road Initiative. So it's something that's quite recent, but I find it really interesting because it also helps me learn a bit more about it for my research and just, you know, for my personal knowledge as well. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, many countries are part of the Belt and Road. I mean, initially it was supposed to be the rejuvenation of the Silk Road, but now you've got African countries, mm. European countries, yeah. countries in Latin America and the Caribbean. So it's it's a big initiative now. Would you like to uh, tell us just a little synopsis about what Belt and Road is and, and the aims, what it hopes to achieve? It's a massive endeavor. Belt and Road. It's, yeah, it's huge. It's huge, basically. And it's so interesting to see how it has evolved, as you mentioned, since it was first introduced in 2013 to today. Mm -hmm. It has just mm -hmm. kept growing and evolved. Um, um, I like to see it as, you know, initially it used to be this idea of the belt and the road, like physically, you know. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and then now I see it more I like to summarize this big project as like a project that will contribute to interconnectivity, global mm. interconnectivity. And this is the idea, right? Being able to connect the world in such a way that we like facilitate trade, facilitate investment, but beyond that facilitate people to people exchange and also cultural exchange. So it's something that for me, the way I see it is something that um, put forward globalization and co interconnectivity 
across the world, not only for a set of, of, of countries. And I think that's why there are more and more African countries that ended up being involved, right? Because in the beginning, I think it used to be, if we look at the, the, the physical um, path, it used to be Kenya and Ethiopia only in Africa. But now all mm. those countries are involved because it's about interconnectivity, whether it's regional ones, whether it's the ones that are going to connect Africa, the continent, to the outside um, world. So I find it really interesting. And it's, it's, I learn more about it every day by the, through the projects on which I'm working. Yeah, I think the way your synopsis of BRI was, was really good. I think initially when the president of China, Xi Jinping, introduced it in 2013, a lot of people were confused. But I think now, mm -hmm. six years on, people are starting to understand more about it. I tend to see it as China's big vision for the world yeah. and for itself. I tend to see it as maybe Chinese globalization. <laughs> you know, globalization, <laughs> with, Chinese, globalization with Chinese characteristics. Um, because like yeah. you said, it's, it's the movement of people, of ideas, of resources. You know, there's air, there's land, there's sea. There's everything, like you said, people-to-people -people exchange. Mm. Um, I've heard the Belt and Road described as like the United Nations and the World <laughs> Bank and the Marshall Plan rolled into one. That's what I've, I've heard. Mm -hmm. I've read somewhere that it was like that. But I think what makes Belt and Road okay. so unique is that it's driven by China. It's an Asian, it's a Chinese initiative. So that's 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 the big deal. You know, it's not being driven by the Western world. It's being driven by China. And it is a huge endeavor, and so many countries have signed up, and I think we're all excited to see yes. how it's going to evolve with time. Yes, definitely, definitely. Yeah. So interesting. And it's going to create a lot of opportunities, I think, for young people, young African people, and just young people exactly. all, all over the world. I mean, it's got its It's already skeptics. creating a lot of opportunities, yes. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think it has its skeptics, it has its negatives like everything else. But yes. I try to focus yes, like on the good. projects, I guess. I mean, most yeah. initiatives, there's nothing that comes completely positive with only positive sides. Everything that is being um, presented, everything that's introduced always has um, challenges, opportunities, positive sides, negative sides. So I feel like it's like that for all projects that are being implemented, regardless of who initiates the project. So, um, yeah. Yeah, but this one is uniquely driven by China, and I think yes. for for good or for bad, that's why it's either celebrated or maybe derided. But you know, everybody's got a view on it. But for me, I think yes. it's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> but that's just my view. So let's jump into yeah. um, your your two businesses. Okay, so tell us a little bit about your first business, which is Duwapa, and then we can talk about your your second business where you are a co-founder of, which is um, TSC Hub. Yes. Okay, yeah. So basically, Job Africa is um, an interesting project that I was introduced to, actually, because um, the person who initiated that project is um, a former um, class, it's not really a classmate, a university mate. We used to um, be colleagues in the African Association because my university has an African Association. So we mm -hmm. used to work together in the executive board. And um, that's when we discovered that we had uh, uh, entrepreneurial ideas and we 
started working on this project that he had thought about for a while already. He introduced it to me. And I was on board because there was a lot related to China, Africa. There was a lot related to youth empowerment. So mm. um, in August um, last year, we decided to um, we decided that we were going to just incorporate the the company. So mm-hmm. um, its focus is mainly on promoting the enhancing the Africa-China relation. So basically. When we hear about China-Africa cooperation, it always seems to be uh, President Xi Jinping met President Paul Bia. You know, it's kind of like mm-hmm. states at the government to government level. There's so much that seems to be happening that, but actually behind that, there's so much that happens at the business to business level or just individual meeting other individuals. You know, and how do we go about with that? We don't talk enough about that, but because we're coming from so different. Uh, cultures, so many different, um, such different cultures were coming uh, with a little understanding of each other. A lot of times mm. when it comes to maybe business um, deals, there's a lot of mm. misunderstanding that happens leading to business failures or, you know, so that's where we want to jump in. We want to be able to ease that um that exchange at the business to business level, at the people to people level, um, just make it easier by providing necessary information, necessary background. And that's mm. why one important part of what we do at Duapa Africa is to be able to facilitate trade and investment mm. between um, China and Africa, you know, from China to Africa, and also helping African brands maybe accessing the huge Chinese market because there's so much here. And um, we're also a social enterprise, and the reason why I want to emphasize it is because we want to do it in order to drive the social economic development of Africa. Mm. Um, so we, we we believe that there's so much that Africa can benefit from the cooperation with China, but it's only if we decide to, you know, go and try to do as much as we can to actually see the opportunities that exist and seize these opportunities. So through what mm. we want, we, we do we want to be able to, you know, um, use what is already there when it comes to China-Africa relation and make sure that uh, Africa can benefit from it as much as possible. Um, right. And that, that applies for what we do when it comes to youth empowerment, right? There are so many um, African students here, so we do a lot of work on, you know, just providing opportunities to them while they're here in China. And we also try to do the same for the young Africans who are in Africa, because as I said earlier, Africa is like the youngest continent, and the future mm-hmm. of Africa for me it depends on its youth, you know. It's true that Absolutely. the government policies are important, but it's both together, the government policies and the young people. This is where, you know, the future of Africa, according to me, lies. So we want to be able to equip those young people and taking advantage of all the opportunities that result from the China-Africa cooperation. So that's basically what we do. We develop programs, we develop workshops, seminars, in addition to uh, facilitating the trade and investment through consulting. Okay, and you're doing this with other students as well, right? Specifically African students, yes? Yes, yes. We had, we had, because I say we had because um, a lot of our team, of members of our team had to go to their country. 
but yeah. we used to have a really diverse team. Even now, it's still really diverse. But in the past, it used to be like all regions of Africa represented, which is really interesting, right? And mm-hmm. um, we we used to work mainly with students, but now we also have, for example, the CEO is, who is Musa Krimpong from Ghana, uh, the yes. one who initiated the company, as I told you. He's the CEO. Um, he's mm-hmm. not working anymore. He's not studying anymore, sorry. So um, we also have a few other people who are not students, but workers as part of the team. That's brilliant. And tell us, yes. what is Duapa? Where did that name come from? Interesting. I'll try to be as <laughs> accurate as possible. So, okay. So um, I, don't, I don't remember exactly the, the meaning of it, but I know it comes from a Ghanaian saying that the, 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 the meaning behind the saying is basically that when somebody is doing something that's going to be create an impact, then the person should be supported mm, in that okay. uh, action. So, and that's what we're trying to do, right? You remember I told you about youth empowerment or just helping um, enhancing the China-Africa cooperation to benefit Africa. It's something that's existing and we want to provide support to be able to just make it better for um, Africa and China. Absolutely. So it's oh, it's from uh, it's a Ghanaian word. So it's from one of the yes. Ghanaian languages, like Tui or something like that. Yes. I don't know okay. exactly the language, but it's definitely from Ghana. <laughs> oh, definitely that's interesting. Because you said the CEO yes. is from Ghana, right? It's from Ghana. Yes. Yes. Okay. That's where and the you name s- comes from. Okay, great. And you started. You guys started this in 2018. Yes. So that was just really? last year. Wow. I like I like how you're bringing diverse groups uh, and different types of people from across the African continent together. And I, I that's what I really like about university. Um, when you're in university, you get a chance to really mix with people from your part of the world as well as people from other parts of the world. Because we, we all know that sometimes you don't even know people from your own region, you know? So it's true, nice that true. a lot of African students can get together and learn about each other. Because um, mm. we know how, because of colonialism, a lot of these regions of the world have been kind of balkanized. So you find the French speakers stick together and the English speakers stick together and, and so on and so forth. But when you get to university, you're all, what binds you is that you, I guess you all speak English and you all have to learn Chinese, I guess, at some point, and you're foreigners, yes. so you get to know about each other, you know, because we, it's, it's, it's quite common that, you know, you can be from Ivory Coast and have never been to Ghana and don't know anything about Ghana. That's quite yeah, normal. Yeah, and I, I think, I, I would say that's one of the things that I love the most about China, at least Beijing or Tsinghua University, but it's really diverse. It's not only about the number of Africans that you have within the university of, or within the city, but it's a number of, you know, foreigners in general coming from other parts of the world as well. It's so much, you know, so many different worldviews that you get exposed to every day and so yes. much to learn every day. And I don't know if there's any other part in the world that is as diverse as Beijing is, but it's, mm. it's one of the unique experiences that I have. One of the things that I love the most about Beijing is that diversity that you can have and just getting to learn, as you said, learn more about other cultures, learn about countries. And it's so mm. nice. It's really nice. Yeah. yeah. 
I think big cities like Beijing and Shanghai and London and New York give you an opportunity to meet people from parts of the world that you only see on a map <laughs> and yes, or yes. sometimes that you've never heard of. But when you come, you go, wow. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's important, too, because maybe a lot of people don't realize how diverse the big cities here in, in China are. You meet people yes, from yes. all over the world and everybody's just kind of trying to figure out how to survive and make their way in, in, in China. Yeah. Mm. Okay, and then you created uh, share, think, share, and create hub, and that's one. That's another social enterprise, right? And you created that this year, yes. so this is very new. Yeah, this one is very new. Um, mm -hmm. This one, it's kind of one of the projects I've always wanted to do. If I want, I have to say it that way. It's something that I was seeing more as a non-governmental organization um, mm -hmm. to be able to just help women. So it was something that's really broad. I just knew I wanted to do something, but I wasn't clear about what it is. But fortunately, through going to events, I got the chance to meet uh, my two co-founders who also had the same you know, aspiration. They wanted to do that but also didn't know how to do it. So we just started working together, organizing, you know, small meetups every month for just women coming from different backgrounds in Beijing to meet, to share, to just learn from each other. That's we started last year in September. Mm -hmm. And we've just been holding these small meetups until we decided that we want to, you know, we, we became clear about what we want to do. And we were able to incorporate the company um, last July. Wow. And you are the co-founder and you're also the CEO of this particular company. Yes. So this particular platform is for women and youth, right? Bringing women and youth together. Exactly. It's, it's, okay. it's, it's more kind of like not only bringing women and youth together, but providing them with skills with opportunities mm. we want to be able to create opportunities for women and for mm. youth women why because we know the problems you know um women a lot of time are not given the same opportunities as men especially when we because our focus was mainly on african women in the beginning and it, that's what we want to go in the long run there's mm -hmm. still so much that needs to be done when it comes mm -hmm. to you know creating opportunities for women in Africa and yes. being an African and have I've seen so much so many African women that thought if they were given you know resources if they were given some trainings they would have been able to accomplish so much and I think mm. that's where it comes from so um, we really want to be able to do that and I mean in the long run it's going to benefit the whole society it's not only going Absolutely. to be benefiting the women that are going to be equipped, that are going to be empowered professionally, is going to benefit yes. the whole society. Because if we have one specific woman who was maybe struggling um, mm. to survive, and we can equip her so that she can produce something that's maybe scalable, then she mm. can also maybe hire people or she can, she can just contribute to the economy. So we just thought that it's a waste not to invest in the resources that we have, right? Because women are a resource in Africa. There are so many of them that are there and that could do so much 
but there's not, just not in, enough investment in them. That's why we wanted to focus on women. And the youth, as I said earlier, for me, the youth is the future of Africa. So um, mm. we also want not to neglect the, the other side of, you know, not to neglect men, but we, we want to focus on people that maybe otherwise they couldn't have the resources that we're going to, to, to provide them. Um, so for yeah. the youth part, I would say mainly people who, who probably don't have resources or were not given the chance to get, you know, education or something. Yes, I agree with you. I think the three main drivers of opportunity and development across the developing world, not just in Africa, but we will focus on Africa, is women, youth, and entrepreneurship. I think entrepreneurship mm. is what's really going to drive change. Obviously, the women and definitely young people of any any gender and, and any orientation, background, what have you, because like you said, the Africa in a few years is going to have, or I think it currently already has the largest population of young people in the world yeah. are spread across the continent. Yeah, so mm. um, it's it's very important because you're going to have all these young people who need something to do. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, and, so, and, and there's one aspect that I would just want to add to what you listed because for me, I want to do something, but I also think in addition to women, youth, and entrepreneurs, as you listed, the policies are also so important. And I feel mm. like maybe it's something that we don't emphasize enough because whatever I am trying to do in Africa through this um, social enterprise, I won't be able to do it as well as, you know, it wouldn't be able to lead to a great impact if we don't have the policy support, you know. So mm -hmm. it's the same thing for entrepreneurship. If the system is not favorable for entrepreneurship, we can have all this energy that is being mm. produced by the young people going to waste because you're struggling to get something done, you know. So I feel like right. all this you listed, it has to come, it has to go with also favorable policies that yes, should absolutely. be implemented by the different government yeah, in Africa. You're absolutely yes. right. And I'm glad you pointed that out because it's true. The infrastructure has got to be there. And in a lot of countries across the world, you don't have the infrastructure in place, as you said, the policies to nurture and encourage. And that's a big problem. So what happens is the brain drain. Everybody goes away yes, and they, exactly. they take all their talent with them. I mean, look at Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley is a perfect example mm. of foreign talent. <laughs> mm. you know and yes. different parts different just different parts of the united states and and whatnot where foreigners come and they bring their mm. talent with them and they develop a place but that's because a lot of the times they they don't have the resources the opportunity or the infrastructure in their own country so it's really important exactly. that that government play their role to provide the mechanisms you know make it easy to start a business make it make it easy for young people to create jobs and so on and so forth mm -hmm. yeah that's very yeah. true so what i wanted to ask you about now is you have these businesses whilst you're in university so it's very easy <laughs> for students to start businesses here because you know if you compare it to other parts of the world you don't just start a business they don't allow you to do that you know you're a student you're there on a student visa and that's what you do you know yes. half of the time you can't even work so it's is it mm. just so straightforward and easy for you to come here and just start start your business register your business and and get get things going can you talk to that a little bit um yeah i mean 
there are still some restrictions when it comes to you being on a student visa and what you're able to do. Of course, you're not allowed to work here as well. But when mm. it comes to starting a company, it's um, it comes with this idea of innovation. And it's interesting because it's something that a lot of students are not aware of. You know, I mm. learned about it as well two years ago that, you know, you can be a student and start a business. Before, I didn't know. But mm. it's basically um, China wanting to be that hub of innovation, right? Um, mm-hmm. And one way of doing that is promoting entrepreneurship, not only by, you know, local people, but also foreign students that are here. They are huge source of, you know, innovation and they are talented mm. people. But it's mm-hmm. a way for China, because when I, 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 I register my, my company here, it's a Chinese company. Right, it's not a Cameroonian company, so it's it's a way for China to promote innovation in the country as well, and um, it's kind of a pretty straightforward process when it you take the the the, the path that I took because we went through a business incubator that helped mm-hmm. us go through the process of registration and everything, and it's actually yeah. something that. Because um, we're being re- we've been registered at the IDN district here in Beijing, and it's mm. something that different governments promote. You know, because we've been um, there are businesses incubator in Chaoyang district and other districts who are also trying to attract uh, more foreigners, students, yeah. uh, workers to start their businesses. And basically, what they require from you is to have a solid business plan, um, something that is innovative something that is you know um clear and scalable and from the moment that you have it and that they see that something that can be executed then um you have the support of the incubator and from the moment that you do have it then it's easy for you to go through the registration process you know and they know that you're a student because they ask you your passport your residence permit and everything (laughs) so for sure Mm. they know that you are that you are on a student visa um, you know, so I, it's totally to do it, but then you mm. have to, while you are a student here and that you've started a company, it's a bit like, mm. I don't know if you know about doing an internship here, you're supposed to have mm. a stamp in your residence permit that says that you're doing an internship. So it's the mm-hmm. same thing for entrepreneurship. You have an entrepreneurship stamp on your student mm. visa that says that apart from being a student, you're also an entrepreneur. And then when you have that, it's easy to basically when for example, if I graduate, to just change that visa into an entrepreneurship visa. So it's yeah. that's yeah. yes. And you know, in China, I don't know if it's the same program, you have the entrepreneurship visa that is specifically for students. I know they have it in Shanghai, and I guess they've mm. rolled something out in Beijing. I don't know if this is a separate one, but I know they've got one specifically for students. And I think that's so innovative, you know, trying to capture... Yeah talent because most countries won't allow you to do that and if you try to set up a business they ask you to have this amount of money in your bank account and you can't do this and you can't do that you know and most countries will tell you you can't even work which is ridiculous because you're an international student so you can't work Mm -hmm. you can't do anything and it's really incredible what what's happening and I think now is a good time to get in on these programs because you don't know if they're going to be around for a long time. So it's a really good opportunity. So it's good exactly. that you... Yeah, 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 for sure. It's good that yeah, you go and... Ahead. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. It's fine. 
No, I was going to say it's, it's just a good opportunity and it's good that you guys are taking advantage of it whilst you're here and you're doing all of this great work. Yeah, I mean, if uh, it's, it's in the same direction with what we're doing with Dwapa is to be able to seize the opportunities that result from the Africa-China relation, right? So I feel, I see this as one of the, 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 the growing ties between China and Africa. And if through what we're doing, because as I said, both of these are social enterprises. So, because um, I believe me being here in China, it's a blessing that I'm getting. So it, how am I able to um, translate that into something that's maybe bigger? How am I able to take advantage of that to create an impact? So if we're given this opportunity, then, you know, we can just seize and then see how it goes, I guess. Yeah, for sure. So what is your your plan? Are you going to take these? I mean, these businesses are here in China. So what are you going to do? Are you going to go back home? Are you going to stay and build these businesses? Are you going to what what's the what's your your goal? Or you don't even know. You're just kind of going with it and seeing what happens next. <laughs> I kind of like um, the latter. I like to go with the flow and see what happens. <laughs> just go with the flow. I kind yeah. of already know what I want to do exactly with um I don't know, but Duapa Africa already has a branch, if I can say, but there's a Duapa Africa business registered in Ghana already. Mm, so wonderful. kind of operating operating in both continents already. But the nice. idea with TSE Hub is um, in our long-term plan and also what we included in our business plan is to be able to have an impact in Africa through our operation. So I think in the long term, I don't know how many years it's going to take, but for sure, in the long term, what we want to be able to achieve is within the African continent. So mm-hmm. I can, I'll say I'll see myself there in the long run. I don't know in how many years, but definitely that's why I think um, I would be the most helpful, probably. And how do you create harmony in all these different areas of your life? building two businesses, involved in this and that association, completing your PhD. Wow. How do you do all of this? It's really, really, it's really hard, actually. <laughs> I'm actually, I actually had to drop a lot of things. Um, and I, I, I would, I have to mention it. It's something that can also become dangerous because when you start doing things, then you start seeing more opportunities, right? And more opportunities coming to you. And then you have to decide when to say no or what to select or what to stop doing. So Mm. I've already started dropping a lot. I used to do an internship as well at the same time. And Mm. I used to be the president of the African Association here at Chinua. So I I had to drop that. Both of them I had to drop. And Mm. for Duap Africa, it's, it's okay because I'm not the CEO. So my contribution is also um, not as demanding as TSCL, for example. So I'm just mm. trying to um, try to see the balance, but I would like to always prioritize my research first, my PhD, and then mm. um, the rest would come later, I guess. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, just try to yeah. balance that. I get little sleep. I'm trying to change that and sleep normally <laughs> because when I get I'm not useful, but I try to sleep normally and, you know, I feel like when I do that, I'm more productive, you know, 
because um, in the past, because I had a lot of things to do, I would sleep usually three or four hours per night. But then it was mm. not helping me. Now I'll try to get enough sleep and do as much as I can during the day. Um, yeah. Yeah. And also being able to find the balance between all these and having a social life still, meeting my friends. Mm. And also mm -hmm. I'm a Christian. So be able to dedicate enough time to God and Christian yeah. activities. Yeah. yeah, but you know, I, I think that's just most young people nowadays. It's just normal to have 20 different things going on all at once. It's just normal. <laughs> it's just normal. And you find a way to make it work. I think now is the best time to be alive and to be young and to be in university because everything is in the palm of your hands, especially with technology. And I think it's just it's just an amazing time. If I were you know, much younger, if I were in my a teenager just starting university again, I'd be the same way. <laughs> I would be in everything, to yes. be honest. Yes. Because, yes. yeah, I think once you're here, you just, just have to take yes. advantage of everything. Mm, yeah, but I think going in a completely different direction, I think me being that busy also made me think a lot about the necessity sometimes to have mm. a break or to create some time just to be quiet and to just for yourself because that's mm -hmm. the danger as well in living in a place that's hectic is mm -hmm. that sometimes mm -hmm. you can get lost into that you know mm -hmm. and it's something that maybe is not helpful in the long run in the mm -hmm. long run and even in the short term as well. And as I told you, for example, being busy all the time, waking up, having headaches, and, you know, not mm -hmm, being mm -hmm. able to, you know, just calm down and look and think, you know. So I yeah. think it's something that, you know, if I have to advise myself and anybody mm -hmm. else, especially here in Beijing, it gets really hectic. But mm -hmm. it's being able to know that sometimes you need to slow down. Absolutely. And need to but, do that as yeah. much as you know absolutely yeah. but i think only the individual can decide that and only the individual yes, exactly. can determine <laughs> yeah and and i I, yeah. I think the key is to check in with yourself you've got to constantly check in with yourself mm -hmm. you know how do you feel exactly. how is this making me feel is this adding value to my life is this what i want exactly. and constantly realign yourself with your values and if you feel like you're going further and further away from your values that's when you know you have to yes. check in again exactly. but but what you said, I think, is really important. Learning to say no. You, we all have to learn when and how to say no. And I think as we get we get more aligned with our purpose and our passions, that becomes easier. We know, okay, this one isn't for me. But you know, everything takes everything takes time. But like you said, it's yeah. difficult because big cities, you know, like here in Shanghai, there's always something going on. And if you go exactly. to everything, you will never sleep. Mm. You know. It's too because much. <laughs> it's, listen, in one day, there's so many different events and all of them are amazing. And you just think, wow, I want to do this. I want to do that. All the restaurants, all the art scene and all the startup this. And that is just always something going on. But you have to say, OK, uh -huh. tonight I'm going to stay at home and sleep. <laughs> exactly. You know, so but I, it's really I, I don't, you know, personally, I don't believe in the culture of work 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 until you burn out because i think that's very dangerous mm. and I, in the yes. past i've been burned out before so i'm i'm speaking from experience but at the same time mm. i'm cognizant of the fact that 
when you have a lot of energy and you're very passionate about, about what you're doing, you get so energized by your work. You know, you get really into the flow that it's hard to stop. Mm-hmm. And I and I understand yes, that. I know, so I know. I, yeah, yes. I understand that. So it's kind <laughs> of like I don't I don't believe in telling people, you know, don't do what they mm-hmm. love because when you find what you love, you can do it 24 hours a day nonstop until your body says no more. <laughs> but you love it so much. So I guess each person has to figure out what what works for them. And for some people, you know, work is happiness and that's okay. And for some people it's, I need work, but I need more sleep or I need my friends or my husband or my wife, boyfriend, partner, whatever, or I need to go to the gym. I think everybody's got to do what works for them. But also when you're trying to build something from scratch, it's very difficult to to have that harmony because you're so driven by what you're doing that you you dedicate a lot of time to it because it's what you want. You're driven by it, you know? So mm. it's kind of hard, I think. I think everybody, I don't think anybody's figured it out. I think everybody's just trying to find a way to make it all work. <laughs> that's what I that's yeah. what I think. And the moment mm. you think you've got it all figured out, something else happens and then it throws you off again. Yes, but what these days I've just learned I I used to do that what you're you're talking about because most of the things that I'm doing now I'm really passionate about it it's something that I feel um I really want to do and you know and when I'm working on it I'm really happy to do it but I've just also learned to be able to this and again it's just like as you say depending on the individual right uh for me I've just learned to just let it go sometimes you know and mm. <laughs> just just distance myself from that a bit and maybe it's also mm-hmm. because of what i believe in it's because of my values although i love yes. it so much i've just learned to maybe see it as something that's not the most important thing for me so that's how i yeah. learned to maybe distance myself from this um, yeah yeah but yeah. as you said it's just depending on the, the individual you know yeah, definitely. Because some people are are incredibly driven and passionate by their work. And mm. for you for you to tell them, oh, don't do that, you know, it's yes. kind of like you're yes. telling them not to breathe. And I don't think anyone should be in a position to to tell somebody else what they should do and how they should do. do. Yeah. But yeah, but, but I do but, think mm, I do think mm-hmm. that you, you you can't put yourself in a position to tell somebody what to do and not to do, but mm. you can for example, if you have to let somebody, because you said, for example, that you went through a burnout, right? So oh if, gosh, somebody yeah. loved their, if somebody loves their work, good, work as much as you can. But I like what you said, for example, that be careful when you see some signs, although you love yeah. it that much. I'm not yeah. saying that because I want to tell you what to do or not, but because mm. maybe, you know, it's something that you might want to care about. You know, oh, so yeah. you don't when tell you the person don't but you know, just yes. be careful because you know you have to notice, eat. You know, <laughs> you know? Yes, yes so. it's true. You have to eat. You yes. have to sleep. You know, because sometimes you get so busy, you don't eat the right food. You start mm. to get sick, and your body exactly. will let you know exactly. when things aren't right. Exactly. So yeah, so that's exactly that because you have the experience. You might want to tell that to somebody that maybe never went through it, but would help. Oh, yeah. That would help the person a lot. You know. So oh, I yeah. feel like uh, there. but I, I've learned my lesson. Yeah. So no more burnout mm. for me. <laughs> yes, that's good. That's good. 
<laughs> I, I must say, I do get a lot of sleep these days. I mean, there's some days mm. where I get four or five hours sleep, but I would say as an average, I'm averaging about seven hours sleep a night, which is nice, which is really that's nice. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, that's really good. And it and, mm. and my body and I know when I've when I have not had a good sleep, I know when I haven't slept uh, enough hours because I get up in the morning and there's just my head feels like it's spinning and I just know, <laughs> okay, don't do that again. Yeah. But you know, every every uh-huh. day is different, but very, very true. So do you have any advice that you would like to share about your experience here in China? For example, if there's someone who's looking to come here, um, you know, they've been given a scholarship or some some kind of, you know, opportunity to come to China to study. What would you advise them to do based on your experience? Um, what I would say is to be able to live and come to when they come to China, they come to experience the place. Right. Because um, mm-hmm. when I come here, I came here during, for my master's. I used to be like, oh, OK, I came to study. So um, it's important to focus on the study, yes. Um, but I missed out a lot about And it's actually, Tsinghua University is a university that has everything inside. It's a campus that you find everything within the university. So I would mm-hmm. go out of the university only on Sundays to go to church and then come back. But there's mm. just so much more to Beijing. There's so much more to China that you mm. might want to explore, that you might want to learn about. So it's about, you know, knowing that you came for your study, you want to focus on your study, but then what do you do on Saturdays? Just go out of the university, just walk, you know, and try to experience China, you know, try to learn more about the place, about the people, about the culture, about what's happening. Because I, one of the interesting things I feel um, about being here in China is to be able to get a perspective about China that people from outside usually never get, you know. Mm, but if mm. you come here and you just don't experience it, you actually live without getting that perspective. So it would just be like, you know, while you're here, experience it. And mm. just open yourself to the place, you know. I agree. That's really good advice. And um, because I think coming, coming, a lot of people often question what, like you said, why did you come to China? Where did you study in China? Or like myself, why did you come here? Or... What are you doing in China? You know, they're they're curious, they're intrigued, they're a little scared because they they don't know, they don't understand. But then when you when when they come, you know, people who come to visit you, for example, and they really see what it's like, it really changes their perspective. Mm-hmm. And if you yes. if you can get that immersion as a student, that's amazing. And that's one of the reasons why China is bringing so many students here because they want to open up China to the world. You know. And yes, show, it's, it's just allowing young the world people. to understand China better, you know. Absolutely, so. absolutely. It's a cultural education. I mean, even me for myself, um, I, mm. working here as a teacher, I teach Chinese students entrepreneurship and business. And it's and just teaching Chinese students is an absolute experience unto itself. <laughs> I mean, yes. if I yeah, were I working imagine. in a... Oh, yeah. If mm. I were working in an international school where there were 50, 60 different nationalities, like most foreign teachers do, my experience would be very different. But I work in a school which gives international exposure and curriculum to Chinese students. I mean, it is private boarding Mm. school, but that makes it very, very um, special. 
because my experience mm. is it's it's international but it's also chinese and i really really like that because i get to see china through their eyes which is great mm, that's yeah that's great yeah and they get to learn a little bit about me too and i show them on the map where <laughs> i come from and they just wow that's so far so yeah but that's really good advice and i want to thank you so much for giving me some of your time if only people knew what we had to go through to get this podcast done <laughs> yeah it's so great thank you for inviting uh, me i'm happy yes yeah. my absolute pleasure my absolute pleasure and thank you again and hopefully you can come back on the podcast one day in a few years when you're all done and update us on <laughs> where you are and what's going on by then you might be running cameroon So <laughs> I don't think so but yeah I would love to come back. <laughs> so we can come and stay at your place crash mm-hmm. at your pad in, yes. in Cameroon. <laughs> yes. 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 You're welcome. Welcome. Uh, okay. Thank you so much again. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you. A real privilege actually and I really enjoyed our conversation. So do take care. Hey there, rare ones. I hope you enjoyed listening into this week's conversation. The Rare Birds podcast is available for listen across all major platforms, including Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Anchor, and several more. Please share our conversations with your friends. Don't forget to subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can do so by opting in on our homepage of our website, www.rarebirdshq.com. The weekly newsletter provides analysis and data around the topics explored in our weekly conversations. Lastly, I would love your feedback and spend way too much time on Twitter. My handle is included in the notes section of each episode. Tweet me your thoughts, ideas, opinions, and feedback because I'm always looking for ways to improve my craft. If you absolutely love what you heard, then rate us on your favorite podcast platform. See you next week for more conversation. Bye for now.